0: Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. Dina Carter is a CMA award-winning country artist. The daughter of famed studio guitarist and producer Fred Carter Jr., Dina grew up around country music legends. She broke into the spotlight herself in the mid-90s with a multi-platinum debut country record. Dina talks about her early years and how a hurt she experienced in church kept her from going there for 20 years, but that God was always working in her life, leading her back.
1: I'm Dina Carter, not Deanna. People call me Deanna, they have my whole life. Um, But it's Dina. and I was born in Nashville, Tennessee, and I've been in California for 18 years. My son is 13, and I'm a single mom right now. Been in country music my whole life, being around Nashville, my parents were in the music business. I grew up in it, I grew up in the studio in Nashville, I grew up in that community and it's a beautiful thing. It's a special place. My church life growing up was, we went to um, Goodlitzville First Baptist Church, and my mom made sure that we were there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, GAs, RAs, choir, youth group, all that stuff, and my dad didn't go with us. So, I was always just wishing he would go, you know, he would, and he was working, I mean, he did, he had, back then they were doing 10-2, 6-10 sessions around the clock, um, seven days a week, because they were making all these records and they had to physically make them to put them, press them and physically put them out and all that. And then if he wasn't in the studio, he was at the lake. He was at Center Hill fishing, and Sunday was that, you know, the weekend was his time off, so, he was not a church guy. He, he was not a fan of preachers and stuff like that. But he was a God person. I was disappointed by some things in the church, and then I started struggling with that a little bit, thinking, well, maybe Dad's right. And so having both of those influences, thank God I had the more of the church <laughs> influence, more of my mother's, you know, Jesus' influence in my life because I was a wild child and it brought me full circle. I made the conscious decision to hope to do music in my life, I think, um, at a really young age. I remember seeing Dolly Parton accept an award on TV. Like, I always connected it with television though, because you have to remember when, when we were young, it was the variety show. That was king. There was the Mandrells and Dolly Parton and, you know, the Osmonds, that, Donnie and Marie, I just used to love that show. And uh, Sonny and Cher, I mean, everybody had a variety show. So as a young girl, I watched Dolly Parton receive that award and I would cry with them, you know, I was just like, oh, I want, I want to do that, but how in the heck am I gonna do that? I see my dad and mom, you know, Working, I see him in the studio making the records. But what is that process between making the record and the artist going out and being on the TV set? And so I was a I was a pretty, um, I guess, interested little girl in that process, that void. And so I was determined to figure that part out. So. College, I played guitar, and actually, I didn't even pick up the guitar till I was in college. It was a gift from my dad. I played piano, sang in church, sang at the sorority house. At UT, like, I had to pay my way through college. I finally graduated, the whole time I am graduated, at graduation I'm looking around like they're never, they're gonna like hook me out of this line, I'm not gonna make it, (laughs) but I graduated. And then it was waiting tables and you know, after like just the struggle, the struggle, the struggle because I had a goal in mind, got signed to a publisher first, then got signed to a development deal back then then it was just such a long investment that Nashville would put into artists. And that was such a blessing because they, they did it with their time, their faith, their money. Uh, they put their money where their mouth was. They would hone you, school you, groom you, media training, you know, all these things that we did. And Capitol Records did that for me. So I was signed probably when I was 24 and Strawberry Wine didn't come out till I was 29. It was a long journey, six years, basically, from signing to when it came out, and I turned 30 when it was on the charts with the lyric. Like, God is so amazing how he works it all out. But you just have to keep going in the process. It was unexpected, and there's some standout times I can remember laying in between my parents in their bed. And we were, it was really early one morning. I used to cuddle them up, even grown. I would crawl in between my parents. And we got a call. And um, Joanna Carter, I believe, said, "You have, from Capitol, you've, you're nominated for these Grammys. And I was just sat up and I said, what? What does that mean? Like, I, you know, because we were just, like doing promo and going to radio. Back in those days, you were in radio stations in a car driving, you know, through tech, every state in America, working hard. I mean, we, everybody from the label to our band and management, and everybody just worked their butts off. And so I never really realized it was everywhere. I really didn't. And the most shocking thing to me, I think, was when my, one of my cousin's spouses asked me for an autograph or something at a gig and I was like, it's me, I it's me, like who are you talking to, it's me, you know? And that was kind of odd just because it occurred to me that they were looking at me differently or proud of me or whatever that was as opposed to, Are you washing dishes or am I washing dishes? Matresa Berg and Gary Harrison wrote the song, but it was the bookend song to Before We Ever Heard Goodbye, the song I wrote about my high school boyfriend. Like, it completed that whole record. It was like the glue that brought all those songs and stories together, experiences, really. And I just think, everyone's had a first love, everyone's been 17, everyone has grandparents, everyone, you know, has had a breakup that broke their heart somewhere along the way. All of these dominoes were in this song. And being able to pull it off and perform it live and mean it was what did it really. And that has been the truth. So when we're talking about Jesus Calling or whatever, you know, um, my parents in the music they did, this whole conversation we're having today is rooted in truth. Sometimes we don't like the truth, but that doesn't mean we don't connect with it, you know, and I think so many people connect with that. I can't even believe that I got to sing that because that song has provided 20 years of you know, a music career that I never dreamed. A classic I never dreamed I'd get to have a part of that. I got focused creatively and professionally, but personally, I was still, like, not solid in my relationships and all that. When I went to college, I didn't go to church for 20 years and made a point that I wasn't gonna go. I went the other way, like, I started. I, oh, but here's the difference. I always had Jesus in my heart always. I was baptized at seven. I think it's important, honestly. A lot of people have been hurt by the church itself, and then they walk away thinking that God's let them down, and in truth, they're human beings in church, and so we're all faulty, and we're all works in progress. And I know that now, but at the time, at such an impressionable age, I got into. Um, like numerology, I got into astro- astrology. I just went on a spiritual journey. Like, well, is this the only thing out there? And all the, 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 to be honest, immature, silly things that you do in ignorance of what might be out there, because you've been in one system your whole life. And I did everything, explored everything, and it just met up with people, got involved with people. And it took me down a road where, you know, it was party girl. You know, it wasn't major drugs and alcohol, but it was party time. It was experimentation time. The spiritual change came for me when I got pregnant with my son. And I wasn't married, I was between marriages. And that was um, shocking and just put me on my knees like, now I'm responsible for a human being, you know. You trust me enough for this, so I just, that was it. That's when I really, I, go, I went back to church and started diving back into my spiritual connection with God and praying for his help and asking for his forgiveness and um, just helped me get through this to be a good mom and Hayes was the biggest blessing in my life. I think the biggest change has been humility in confessing my faults, seeing where I need to improve, not pointing the finger at everybody else, um, a little more empathy, those kinds of things. When, when God works on your spirit, the change starts happening with you. That was God working on me creatively and professionally, just getting rid of the monkey business really in my life. But he knew that I still had so far to go spiritually, like with my convictions and my personal life, like my personal beliefs. I found out about Jesus Calling. Once again, God put so many beautiful people in my life. Um, It was given to me as a gift by Holly Chapman who is an amazing hair makeup person here in, in Nashville. And we talk about our faith. You know, that's the other thing that he would, God would do is put me in the scenarios around, he would make me more verbal about my faith. He would push me in that way. And then I would connect with people that were, you know, Christians as well and share. And that was a real strength builder for me in all this transition time. And so she gave me the book. Holly gave me a copy of it and wrote in the front, you know, a sweet note. And I took it back to LA with me and I read it and uh, I wore it out. You know, when you memorize Jesus' calling, pretty much 365 pages of that, that it's time to get the new one because I could go to March 12th and read what it says. But, um,. It was, that was monumental. That book was monumental. Uh, Another, like, really challenging time in my life. Again, going through a lot of loss, the loss of my dad. Um, And having those anecdotes every day that, you know, I try to put my feet on the floor and pull that out first instead of my phone so that I get my priorities straight for the day. I have the Jesus Calling app on my phone because when I travel then it's right here and um, it's it's so convenient and I love it. You can take notes and share too, that's really nice to do. I wanted to highlight February 1st and this is so important. It says, follow me one step at a time. That's all I require of you. In fact, that's the only way to move through this space and time world You see huge mountains looming and you start wondering how you're going to scale those heights. Meanwhile, because you're not looking where you're going, you stumble on the easy path where I'm leading you now. As I help you get back on your feet, you tell me how worried you are about the cliffs ahead, but you don't know what will happen today, much less tomorrow. Our path may take an abrupt turn, leading you away from those mountains. There may be an easier way up the mountains that is visible from the distance. If I do lead you up the cliffs, I will equip you thoroughly for that strenuous climb. I will even give my angels charge over you to preserve you in all your ways. We're supposed to live in the moment and trust God for each day and you know everything in his word tells us to stop worrying and don't worry, don't fear, don't all those things. And the only way we're going to do that is if we're looking beyond where we're at. Jesus calling inspired me to do my TGI episodes that I've, I started last year every week, not every day. Um, and I want to have my own devotion book or you know something because it was just so inspiring. The way that Sarah did the book and approached it and explained, you know the inspiration of how it came around for her just helped me so much. I was in Florida visiting my mother and my mother, my whole life has always said TGIF. TGIF, on Fridays and being a, apart from each other, we call or text now and it's TGIF, I love you. And you know, it's just our little tap in and something my mother started for us. And I talk about personal things, but it's definitely Christian rooted. I go to the Bible and I use my mom's old Bible and you know, where she's highlighted all these things and colored pencils and all this stuff and just get through life. What's the topic of the day? What has God put on my heart this week to talk about? And it was January 19th last year. And I posted it and got some, on YouTube, it's on my YouTube channel, and got a few responses. And then the next week I just kind of followed up and so I did 52 of them. I just finished it. And, And I thought, well, I guess I'm done and everybody you know we've gotten more subscribers and people are saying please don't stop doing this it's been inspiring for me and so we do those every week and the TGIF I dubbed thank God I'm forgiven because goodness we all are filthy rags all of us and we have to just acknowledge our maker and acknowledge his grace and that's the only way we're going to have empathy for anybody else and so that's kind of how I do it and why I do it. I think the irony in um, our day and age now is we claim we have community but we don't have community you know because we're um, doing it on devices like we're not even talking we're texting and, and those kind of things so We have community, but we don't have contact. And it's important to have that spiritual connection in person, and that's what Jesus Calling does. Before I pick up my phone, and because I do have the book, but before I read all those texts and all those emails and all those things, I just try to honor Him with my attention first.
0: To find out more about Dina Carter and to view her YouTube series, TGI episodes, visit dinacarter.com. Stay with us for our next guest, former model and America's Next Top Model contestant, Leah Darrow, right after this brief message from Audible. As a special offering to you, the listeners of The Jesus Calling Podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Find your favorite Sarah Young titles, including Jesus Calling and Jesus Always, in an audiobook version, and get it for free by trying Audible.com. Check out a small sample of the Jesus Calling audiobook featured at the end of this podcast. To download an entire free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash jesuscalling. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash jesuscalling for your full, free audiobook. Now, on to the second half of our show. Leah Darrow is a former model and a speaker and an author. After time as a contestant on America's Next Top Model, Leah went on to write about her experiences and to address the lies women are told about their worth being tied to their appearance. Her mission is to show women how they can reclaim true and lasting beauty when we reflect on God's glory and embrace our value as He made us to be. My name
2: is Leah Darrow, and I am a wife and a mama to three, pregnant with number four. And I feel very called to talk about the mercy of Christ and helping women raise the bar overall for their lives to the level of the dignity that God created them in. So, my family and I grew up in Norman, Oklahoma. I actually grew up on a farm, uh, a real working farm, not just a house with a lot of land. There were cows and chickens and all sorts of things. And so, I grew up with no neighbors around me. I grew up with a lot of silence. I grew up with jumping on very large hay bales for fun and riding in the tractor with my grandpa feeding the cows and I was actually a very shy kid. I was pretty quiet, but there was a lot going on underneath. It was I had a lot of dreams and I I always dreamed of being brave. And I was always very shy and 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 pretty quiet in class and in school. But I always d- had these big dreams of of doing something really great and 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 being really really brave and not knowing exactly what it was. But I knew that there was a calling. There was a calling to be brave and and to do something great. And even though I was shy, um, having that desire to do something great and to be brave, uh, and, and it really started in. High school, for sure. I, I can pinpoint the exact moment in time when things began to derail. I was 15. I had just moved from Oklahoma to St. Louis. My family moved because of my father's job, transferred us, and I was in a new place trying to get new friends. And granted, I had all of those messages that that most young girls uh, had been given, you know, about being pretty and looking pretty or just right was important and I recognize that I also recognize that just you know being in school I mean the pretty girls got more attention they got more attention not just from boys but from teachers too and so it was just obvious that like okay that was something that was valued in culture a lot and there wasn't any other counter message of being brave or smart or kind to equal the level of influence that beauty had. I noticed that all of the girls, especially the pretty and popular ones, had boyfriends. So I thought, OK, that, that's a good idea. I should probably get one, one of those. And so, you know, I picked one out and be, I became his girlfriend. He became my boyfriend. And I just uh, really was using the relationship to validate my worth. So it was there, actually, in a relationship where I thought everything was going to be OK, but it actually did not turn out that way. Um, When I was 15 in this relationship that I had in high school, I was a sophomore in high school. uh, Because I think I began to see my worth and my value in the exterior, it wasn't hard to make the jump, to make the connection, to see that love should be also this exterior experience. That it should be something not necessarily... I mean, obviously it's felt within, but there's also you have to prove it. So So you prove it with actions and you... Prove it with your body. And at 15, uh, at fifteen, I I gave myself away. I lost my virginity at 15. And it was a moment that I know that when I think back on my whole life, I know it's so funny, but I go back to that. I go back to that moment, not because it was obviously a very big moment and had a huge impact on my life, but I realized that I was wanting to be loved so much and i tried for that in the wrong ways and it was a free will decision that i made on my own with my boyfriend and and i think we both just didn't understand what love really was after that moment instead of going back to god instead of asking for forgiveness and accepting the mercy of christ and moving on and and being better than i was the day before which is what i should have done i didn't um That voice, that voice began to speak loud. And that voice told me, I am my sins. I am my mistakes. That I'm damaged goods that I I screwed up. And, it, and I am definitely worse than anybody else, everybody else, because my parents go to church every Sunday. My parents are active in the church and they do a million things, Bible studies, marriage prep. They are super involved. I go to youth group. I mean, and if I screwed up, then there's no hope. There's no way. God will forgive everybody else. But but I'm afraid he won't forgive me, and if he does forgive me, it'll go something like, "Leah, I forgive you, but I'll never forget and that was that's actually what began to change my my perspective, my view of myself and 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 redemption and I began to distance myself from God and from church and my church community because I didn't think there's a space for me. I didn't think I deserved it. And I was ashamed. So after high school and that experience, I began to pretty much give up on, on faith, not because I didn't believe in God, not, not because I didn't think that He could work powerfully in people's lives. I just had so much regret and shame. And so I didn't know what to do with it. And frankly, the world was giving me a message and an opportunity to say, hey, it's not that big of a deal. Like, don't worry about it. Everybody, Everybody's made that mistake. You're not the only one. And next time, just choose a better guy and it'll be OK. Or take this quiz in the back of a magazine and then you'll really figure out, you know, if, if you're ready, if you're ready to take that step next time. I began allowing the world, I guess. I mean, culture. it, it to, to give me my guidance, to give me my commandments, you know, in a sense, I, I look to the, you know, to all of that, because it was easier because they were telling me there's no problem. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And so I, that's what I did. And so all throughout college, I lived in that frame of mind. My worldview became whatever was written in the pages of Cosmopolitan magazine, my worldview consisted of whatever I, 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 watched on the E network. I mean, it was just this whole realm of fantasy really. And I also took the culture's, um, view and opinions on what a woman should look like, what a woman should do in the world and how she, how her relationship should look. And so that began to shape me definitely in college, uh, I mean, I I was still somewhat of a little bit of an academic nerd. Um, I ended up uh, graduating with high honors uh, with my bachelor's in psychology from the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Um, And I had plans and I had been accepted to a Ph.D. program um, for psychology. And I thought, well maybe i'll just put that on hold a bit and try what the world has offering me and in it you know i had been told by strangers you know people who really cared about me uh oh you should model oh you should you should try this out and so these suggestions from from random people um based on just what i look like based on just my body i just decided well maybe i'll maybe i'll try it i mean i had no really idea i had no background really in any of it and so i i gave it a shot And I began to just do a little bit of modeling here and there. And then it wasn't long after college where there was this new TV show that was up and coming, America's Next Top Model. And they had already finished one or two seasons of it. And so cycle three was coming up. And I thought, I think I'm going to audition. So what's being evaluated is me and my body and how I look. And on top of that, I'm competing. I'm competing with every other girl online. And that got to me. I did not like that. It, it it bothered me a lot. But at the same time, I just thought that's because I was insecure. That's because I'm just being a girl and I just need to suck it up and, you know, get on with it. But I, but I remember, I still can feel that feeling in the pit of my stomach of being in line with, with these girls and realizing that there's girls in line all over the country, hundreds of thousands of girls. And we're all just competing. We're all just competing for something that we can't even control to an extent. And uh, it bothered me, but I still wasn't sure why. But uh, I ended up getting chosen. I was one of the 13, I believe, girls on cycle three for America's Next Top Model. And that was, I thought at the time, a huge moment in my life. I mean, I remember looking at a lot of you know my fellow contestants and And realizing, you know, the brokenness in me too, and just being like, we're not very whole, you know, we're, we're clearly lacking in some areas that we shouldn't be. And we all have these struggles and it just kind of reminded me that, you know, there's a problem here this is not a group of like really well-balanced, super happy, fulfilled and satisfied women. This is a group of young women who are begging to be chosen by the world to be validated. And we are allowing ourselves to be validated only on our exterior, nothing within our heart, nothing within what we can do for the world, nothing with nothing with what we can think nothing like that. And and nobody twisted our arm. We're on we're on this show because we volunteered and auditioned. And then on top of all of that, now we're competing. Now we're tearing tearing each other down. Now there's rumors and everybody's talking in the rooms and it's just constant drama and we are being entertained by brokenness. We're being we're being entertained by other people's brokenness. We're being entertained by watching other people fail watching them fall, watching them maybe make some bad decisions in their life. We watch them hurt others, and we have our favorites, and we root for one over the other. I strongly believe that we should never be entertained by brokenness. We should never do that. We should, if anything, reach out a helping hand. We should do something about it. We were not created to compete with one another. We were created to contribute. So America's Next Top Model ended for me by me being eliminated, you know, uh, in front of everyone (laughs) on TV and at home, uh, which is the name of the game. It's a reality TV show, obviously. I just turned and walked out of the room and uh, went and, you know, packed my bags and got my stuff out. And then it kind of hit me and I felt, you know, and and I felt hurt and sad or whatever it was for just not being chosen. But still kind of like confused of why was I, why did I have relief and joy in the beginning? And and obviously, obviously now I can see the connection to that. I can see why, you know, of just it's really nice to kind of not compete anymore for something that we all can't control in terms of what we look like. And so there was relief of just letting go of the drama, letting go of the vanity of it all. And after America's Next Top Model, I decided I was going to move to New York and give this whole modeling thing a shot, obviously knowing that I was just on a reality TV show that it would be airing soon. And I could, you know, leverage that maybe with a few gigs that would help me create a platform, a foundation to actually have a career. Then I began to really seek out modeling jobs. And I ended up being able to to get some paid jobs. And I was modeling professionally in New York after the show. And of course my picture's in Times Square and it's on the side of taxi cabs and everything from the show. So it was it was a time where, you know, it was all smoke and mirrors, but I felt very wanted and I felt really important. And I was doing tons of radio and TV interviews for the show. And especially when the, the week aired that I was eliminated. And then once your week ends you're completely forgotten. You. Who cares? Who cares about you? And so that, it was just, once again, you're always up and down. It's this roller coaster of a profession of never being good enough. You're You're never good enough because you're always competing the next day for the next job. And you're competing now, not just with 13 contestants on a TV show. I'm competing with a universe of women. Uh, w- women all around the planet who are coming in, you know, by the buckets, flying into New York every single day, trying to get the same job I'm trying to get. And I'm trying to be better and prettier and skinnier than they are to get the job. It just never ends. It began to take a toll. And it took a toll on me met- mentally, obviously, because <laughs> we're, you know, we're mind, body and spirit. So it's all connected. And, and you know, this, this slow forming depression began to just kind of crawl over my life. And it was just it be, just became it just became a little bit darker each day. And um, one night when that darkness and the noise of the darkness and the noise of that idea was so great, I thought, okay, that fine, fine, then it's it's over. I'm I'm done. I'm exhausted by this. I'm exhausted by living this way. I can't live like this. And so I really decided to give up. And and I attempted suicide at at that time. And I failed. <laughs> For me it was Okay, so if I go through this, if I do this, what will happen? And I was trying I was trying to be as logical as I can in a very illogical moment and i remember really being able to pull back and have a moment of of reality when i when i could see my mom and i could see her talk to somebody years later years later after i killed myself and they would ask her so how many kids do you have and i remember just thinking how would she answer and she i could see my mom having a hard time what does she say? Does she say she has six, but but one's dead? Does she say she just has five? Does to, does she even bring me up anymore because it's too painful? That was a moment for me where I was like, I uh, I just I can't do that to my mom, and so um so I so I failed and I stopped and and I began to take a pause. And I began to realize that I really needed help. I needed help from professionals. I needed, I needed people who loved me to be around me. I needed some therapy. I needed to rethink what was going on and how I got here. I needed redemption. I needed mercy. I knew there was a truth being revealed to me that was always there from the beginning, but I had allowed so many things to take its place. And I also knew that that was my moment. That was my moment to be brave. I called home. And my dad picked up and I just said, um, Dad, if you don't come and get me, I'm going to lose my soul. And uh, there's a long pause. And I really had no idea what he was going to say back to me. And, um, but when he finally spoke, he just, he just said, Okay, baby. I'm coming to get you. And uh, my daddy drove over 2,000 miles to come pick me up. After my dad came and picked me up from New York, uh, that began a process, a long process (laughs) of spiritual rehabilitation. So, uh, it, it, you know, my dad came to pick me up and and it was a good thing. I had people that loved me, that supported me. Um, I was able to be honest with myself. And the first thing that I did, um, the very, very first thing, which was, um, a strong suggestion, <laughs> uh, definitely emphasizing the strong part from my dad was to reconcile myself with God. And, um, so that's what I did. And so that was the first step I took actually was I went, um, I went back to Christ. I went back to God and I just, you know, I got on my knees and I asked for forgiveness. And uh, I was honest with who I was. I didn't pretend to be something better or or anything else. Um, and I asked for that forgiveness. And that that definitely I think is important to note because where I'm at today, I mean, it's all because of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Part of that unraveling and part of that, like you know, spiritual rehabilitation, was really looking at how God saw me and how God sees beauty and and what that looks like in the world and really kind of unraveling the lies that i allowed myself to believe and how that was intertwined with how i saw my worth and my value as a as a human as a as a daughter as a woman and so that began something of a very long process that god has you know has brought me through and it's it's still bringing me through to this day Authentic beauty, true beauty is about holiness and wholeness. It is about being like God. It is about letting our view and our heart be set on Him alone, who makes all things new, who transforms, who redeems. That is what true beauty is. It's also about wholeness, being whole, being honest with ourselves, seeing the brokenness within and asking for Christ to come in, and fill those gaps to heal us, to make us new, to transform us. All of that, you know, was coming after my conversion was was, was a really big piece of being able to read these pieces of meditation, these, these moments of reflection, just to give me a little something extra. Some were very hard for me to read. Some, some of those devotions were very difficult because, because they were true some of them were some of them were, and they weren't difficult because they were, you know, calling me out. Sometimes it was just difficult because God loves me that much. <laughs> he loves you that much and it was just overwhelming. I can't even remember when Jesus calling came into my life. It was soon after my conversion, after coming back to Christ and and just accepting him fully and wholly <laughs> in every piece of my life. Not just uh Sundays. Um and I I don't even know how I got my first copy. I don't really remember if somebody gave it to me or if I picked it up or if I found it. But I remember I I, I remember the copy. I still have it. And um opening it up and just reading some passage and just being Blown away. I remember just being like shutting the devotional so many times, being like, "I just, I just can't, I just can't, I can't go on." But that was a beautiful time in my life, being able to find that peace. It was just like an extra sister in Christ saying, "Leah, <laughs> you can do this. You can do this, girl. Just stay focused on Christ." There's this particular devotional on October twelfth, and and um, it says. Beware of seeing yourself through other people's eyes. There are several dangers to this practice. First of all, it is nearly impossible to discern what others actually think of you. Moreover, their views of you are variable, subject to each other's spiritual, emotional, or physical condition. The major problem with letting others define you is that it borders on idolatry. Your concern to please others dampens your desire to please me your creator reading that that piece of that devotional on october 12th was i mean there were so many so many reactions one it was like that just summed up about 10 years of my life in those three sentences and at the same time i'm like screaming from the top of my lungs like preach you know like yes yes because i've been there i've done that and he then goes on to tell us how much he loves us. And later on goes on to say that he'll lay down his life for his friends. And that's love. That's love. That's beauty. (laughs) That's beauty. When our focus is not inward, but it's outward. That's the beauty we're called to. And that's what authentic beauty does. That's the beauty we're called to. In my new book, The Other Side of Beauty, I wrote that so that uh, it could just, (laughs) it could honestly just be a voice into women's life to remind them that they are very good. To remind them that there's so much more than what they see. So much more. And really, truly, that authentic beauty of Christ, that is what unchains us. Unchains us from the standard of beauty that is keeping us down. And the authenticity of Christ elevates us to our dignity as adopted daughters of God Almighty. I truly believe that many of the problems in this world will be solved when we, sisters in Christ, learn to get along. When we allow ourselves to accept that beauty is not just in what we look like, but it's in what we do. I truly believe that women have been have been called to be ambassadors of God's beauty in a very special way, in a particular way, and there's something there's something inspiring and very hopeful about that. If we begin to look at our lives, unravel all of the ideas that have been woven in so tightly, maybe into in how we see ourselves, how we value ourselves. And then begin to ask God to come in and to show us the beauty that He has put there.
0: To find out more about Leah Darrow's book, The Other Side of Beauty, please visit leahdarrow.com. Hear more great stories about the impact Jesus' calling is having all over the world. Be sure to subscribe to the Jesus Calling podcast on iTunes. We value your reviews and comments so we can reach even more people with the message of Jesus' calling. And if you have your own story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Visit JesusCalling.com to share your story today.